Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of High Character. UMass and UConn just split uh, the Home and Home series this weekend, and we are here to talk about it. My name is Cameron, and I'm joined by my good pal, Evan. Evan, how you doing, man? Not too bad, not too bad. I'm recording pretty late at night, ready to get this taken care of. I'm looking forward to it. We got a lot of stuff to talk about here, and I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, so uh, big series. We talked about it on our preview. Some big implications coming into this weekend. Uh, Hockey East regular season championship kind of on the line, uh, depending on how this series went, depending on how some other series went in Hockey East. Uh, we'll definitely get into to all of those uh, and the schedule updates a little later on. But, uh, yeah, so UMass went into Hartford, won the first game uh, in a thriller, 2-1. to one on Friday night and then came back to UMass and lost four to two on Saturday. So three points for each team after this weekend is settled. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little, I'm not going to say disappointing. I mean, if some, if like some random, you know, all seeing eye were to, you know, come up to me before the series and say, Hey, you're splitting it one game to one. I'd take it, you know, like it's not the worst thing possible. I think the, the magic number for the series was three. Like we just really needed to get one win and we're still on track to be in the driver's seat and control our own destiny in hockey East. Um, obviously it was huge with some of the other results that also happened, you know, this weekend um, helped us out a lot in the context of the hockey East standings, but overall it was a really tough series. UConn's a good team. Got to give, you know, we're going to give them a lot of props this episode. They played very well. So yeah, overall I'm, I'm not too disappointed. I mean, obviously you want the six points, but I don't think it was that bad in the grand scheme of things. Right, and obviously with the the loss coming second, that's the night that we're recording on. It it does feel a little bit tough, but I mean, uh, the both of us went into the series, and you said it yourself that uh, splitting it was kind of the expectation going in. We know how good of a team UConn is; they're they're nationally ranked, uh, top twenty in pair wise. So knew it would be a hard fought battle, and uh, yeah, still still kind of in the driver's seat in terms of hockey East, but. We'll get into the the standings update in the scoreboard later. So how about we jump into game one? Sounds like a plan, Cam. Cool. So, uh, yeah, game one, Friday night at the XL Center in Hartford. Um, pretty good crowd. They were offering pretty cheap cheap tickets on, on UConn's website. So, a pretty sizable crowd. And uh, UMass came in with a different gameplay than we've seen for most of the season. Uh, we saw it in the first, and then we saw it throughout most of the series really entering the zone, uh, throwing pucks on net. It seemed like it was a little bit different look we've seen for them. Yeah, that was definitely something that I noticed too, just kind of getting, you know, the general overview of the game out of the way. Like, I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but we outshot the hell out of them that game. Um, you could tell it was really apparent on the zone entries, was just throwing the puck low. Um, Hansen was kind of sticking the puck off to either corner a lot of the times. And that kind of allowed us to like work the puck into the corners and try and get it out up to the points. That was something I noticed a lot. Like, again, it was a lot of getting high volume of shots on net. You know, I think we were somewhere in the high thirties by the end of the game. And it was just very apparent that, you know, Hansen's a solid goalie. I mean, in our preview episode, we kind of highlighted, you know, his great stats, you know, we all knew he was a good tendee going into this and that was kind of shown throughout both games, but we were really just trying to get a lot of traffic in front of him. Just all the classic ways of beating a solid goalie. Right. Yeah. Hanson, Hanson was really good. And we, we saw it in this first, we saw it uh, throughout both games. And the other theme was the, um, the shot totals. Like you said, UMass really high volume, but not, 
not quite the high quality shots chance that you would uh, expect. And then uh, UConn, low quality, uh, high quality, but low volume of shots. So uh, I thought UMass kind of, kind of took over in this first period. I think they won a lot of battles in the neutral zone. It seemed like they were getting in the passing lanes for UConn quite a bit. Um, and it wasn't really enough. This period went to intermission with no score. Yeah, I think that's kind of the cool thing about like listening to podcasts like we have because I mean you really wouldn't get a good idea from the box score alone if you were just trying to like review this game because I mean I'm literally looking at the box score as we speak. Two penalties, that's about it. There was no score, nothing like that. But I mean it really was a I'd say UMass was playing pretty darn solid in that first period. I mean, we were limiting their chances for a, a good amount. I mean, a couple snuck through, but Murray had to come big, you know, get really, you know, hammered down the net on those ones. So it was good to see, but overall, I do think that was a, a heavy UMass period. Yeah, UConn uh, rung the crossbar at one point, a little bit scary. Then UMass kind of started pouring on the pressure. Um, and then at the very end of the period, Bobby got stuck to a UConn player, which was pretty interesting. Got some matching penalties going to the second. Uh, but other, other than that, a somewhat uneventful period. Um, yeah, so as we, go, as we go to the second, I thought – I thought UMass's defense uh, started to take a turn downhill a little bit. Um, some tough, tough transition defense moments, and then some even worse zone defense moments. But uh, UConn never fully capitalized on them. I don't think. Yeah, not really. Um, it kind of seemed like a case where just the guys just got a little bit more tired as the game went on. I mean, to have such a good period and to be able to follow it up with a second good period, it, it takes a lot out of you, you know, energy wise. So, I mean, overall, I do think we played pretty well in the neutral zone. Um, that was one of the notes that we kind of took when we were watching the game was overall throughout the course of the whole game. Our neutral zone play was really good. We got a lot of turnovers there, which kind of allowed us to transition into better offense when we were kind of moving into the zone. But, um, yeah, I mean, overall, again, it wasn't a terrible period. Again, you know, it ended 0-0. But I do want to highlight one of the weird moments, though. Again, something that you wouldn't really notice on the box score. I forget who it was on UMass, but he ended up losing his glove on the play. And then Ryan Lautenbach's just kind of sitting there on, along the, the, the half boards, essentially in the neutral zone. And he just literally manages to put the tip end of his stick right inside of the glove and flick it back up to whoever needed it. Like it was such a smooth play. And I feel like I just really wanted to mention that because I feel like nobody, like, I'm not sure if it would have been visible on like the camera feed, if you were watching it, but when you were in the game, like you're kind of seeing the puck go by and, the puck ended up just whizzing right past his head, like as he was doing it. So like, you really couldn't miss it, mm. but yeah, I thought that was a really funny moment. <laughs> and I figured I'd highlight that real quick while we talked about the second period. Yeah. It was definitely a whoa moment watching in person. You're like, did that just happen that quickly? But yeah. And then uh, uh, also you, you mentioned when you were watching the game in that second period that um, UConn with the solid chances they were having seemed to, uh, make two, three, four really good passes. And that last one that would have, would have been the, the difference to score a goal didn't connect. Yeah, no, that's definitely a, a theme that I saw throughout that whole period. It was a lot of um, just kind of creativity. You know, they would do a lot of drop passes. Um, I would see a lot of kind of doubling up when they would enter the zone because they really wanted to get that drop pass and then kind of send it over far post. That was something that I noticed a lot. Um mm -hmm. It could have led to a couple of goals if that last pass connected. Luckily, it didn't. Um, I mean, there was a couple opportunities where they fanned. There was a couple opportunities where it was just a bad pass. A couple times we broke up the play, which was good. So, luckily, it didn't end up turning into anything. But it was definitely – there was a little bit of danger in our end during that period. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, also in that period, UMass cut a couple power play chances, didn't really, didn't seem to do much with it. And that, that theme kind of continued into the third, couple more power plays for UMass, nothing, nothing really working on the power play for them. Um, there were a couple pretty scary uh, UConn power plays in the third that they weren't able to, to capitalize on. And then uh, about halfway through the third, Ryan Ufko, just an absolute rocket. I'll let, I'll let you talk about that one. Yeah, the term that I would call this is an absolute piss missile. Like, you just you, – you can't underestimate the way that he just absolutely nipped that top corner. I mean, he stepped into it, at, you know, I forget – I want to say it was weight that, that passed that um, mm-hmm. off the top of my head. Just finds him high slot and just got everything behind it. It was a beautiful one-timer. I think Hanson had one or two bodies in front of him that made it really tough to make the save. That shot was probably going a solid 90 anyway, so it probably wouldn't have mattered if he saw it the whole way. That thing was in a prime scoring opportunity. So, yeah, absolutely amazing goal by Ufko. It was a great shot. You know, great play by everybody involved. Um, According to Carvel, it was a set play. So, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure I heard that after the game. It was a set play, and it was a really great drawn-up play. I mean, clearly it worked to perfection, so. Yeah, and really good to see Ufko's hard work lately paying off with a goal for him. That was That was cool to see. And then, yeah, that, that one really took the air out of the crowd at the XL Center. Uh, and then a little bit later into the third, with about three minutes left, uh, Josh Lopina buried a big, big insurance goal to make it 2 nothing. Yeah, I mean, it really felt good to kind of see the amount of shots we were putting on that get rewarded. Like, it was, I mean, I think the way that Carvel would have described it was pounding the rock. Like, we were really just putting pucks on net over and over and over again. And Hanson was coming up big. That's going to be a common theme, especially going to the, the next game as well. Mm. Hanson played a damn good series. You know, I'm literally, I will tip my cap, you know, please cut out the part where my head's exposed there because that was disgusting. But yeah, no, I'm definitely tipping my cap there to him. He was playing very well. Um, yeah, just having that sort of release after getting that second goal, after we had at least 30 plus shots on net at that point was extremely relieving. Um it was kind of a tap-in from what I remember from Lapina. I mean, it was basically a two-on-one. I think he got – it was either a rebound or a cross-crease pass, but the yeah. net was wide open. Yeah, it was Lapina cleaning up his own rebound. Exactly. Front, yeah, so. so, I mean, completely wide open net. There was really not a whole lot that Hanson could do there, but yeah. it felt so good to finally get that. Yeah, definitely did. And uh seemed like it was smooth sailing to a win after that with three minutes left. Then uh, UMass as has been a theme kind of lately – takes tough penalty to go down uh, on the penalty kill. And then as UConn pulls their goalie, they're on a six on four power play basically. And UConn finally, finally gets their first goal of the night. Um, And there was a little bit of controversy around this one. Looked like Murray had his glove over the puck for a good couple seconds before UConn digged it out. And you saw, you saw the reaction from Murray. He was pretty pissed about, no, no whistle there. Yeah, there was, you know, you could easily tell that there was no way that he was pleased on that play. Um, I mean, even the replay was showing it pretty well itself. Like, he was sprawled out basically on all fours in front of the net. Nobody could see the puck. I don't know what the hell the ref was seeing on that, but managed to squirt loose when he had eight guys jabbing at the puck. So, you know, that'll happen. Basically, there was only one guy free in the slot after you have a pile up of about six bodies out in front of Murray. And, I mean – it's kind of hard to miss it at that point when he, you know nobody can really get in front of the net and see what's going on. So these things happen. Luckily, it wasn't enough. We were able to hold off the rest of the charge after that point. So 
I mean, caps off a good win in the end of the day. Really can't complain. We almost get an empty netter at the very end of that. I think I want to say it was Bobby in our own zone, just hucked the puck on net, ended up hitting post, but that was enough to ice the game because it at least got out of the got it out of the, the D zone. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so the UMass went on to win this one two to one. That that last goal just puts a little smudge on what was really a, a great night from Matt Murray. Uh, he made some really big saves, especially in the first period, thwarted a lot of pressure early, and then just kind of smooth sailing from there. I thought he played really well. Yeah, it kind of reminds me. It kind of reminds me of a game that we went to a couple of years ago at the XL Center, where I think it ended up being a very bad eight-two loss. But from what I remember from the beginning of that game, because an eight-two loss usually doesn't leave your head too easily, um, we were dominating the game in the first, you know, maybe ten minutes or so. I think we had a couple breakaways, and I forget who the goalie was at that time. Might have been Huska or Machka, but basically, he he stonewalled us on a bunch of breakaways and high-quality chances, and that momentum just kind of kept riding for the rest of the game. I feel like that's kind of what Murray did, obviously not to an 8-2 goal extent, but it was definitely good to kind of see a bit of a bit of calm, you know, from, from your netminder. And it really kind of calmed down the rest of the team and the defense, knowing that they can trust their goalie. Not like there was much of a question of that beforehand, but it's always still good to know, like, a couple of defensive lapses happen, but you know that your tendy's there to back you up at all times. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great, great for UMass to be able to count on Murray down this stretch. I mean, guy's been unbelievable for, for five years for UMass. It's just a, a really good crush to lean on if you need it in these kind of low-scoring games. Yeah, it's an absolute privilege to have someone of his caliber, especially when he was splitting the net with a guy like Philip Lindbergh, you know, a couple, couple seasons prior. Like, it's unbelievable to see. Like, we were extremely lucky to have the goalie tandem that we did, and we're lucky to have Murray for five years. Like, I don't want to say thank you, COVID, because that sounds a little screwed up, but <laughs> thank you, COVID. I mean, we got another year out of Murray. That's awesome to see. Yeah, I guess so. Any uh, any other final thoughts on this one? I know our vibes coming out of this game, leaving the XL Center, were as, as high as could be on I Friday mean, night. Yeah, it's kind of hard not to be happy after a performance like that. I mean, Carvel says you get what you deserve. I think we deserved it there. You know, it mm. feels really good to get a win, especially in an away arena against a really solid team like UConn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Carvel had some some really nice quotes about the uh, the team after this game. Thought it was one of their best performances of the season. Thought they played outstanding, and I definitely agree with them. Even though didn't didn't turn up on the score sheet as much, I thought it was just a a solid all around team game. Certainly. All right. So you want to move on to game two? Sounds good. Cool. So yeah, game two, uh, seven thirty start. Not our typical seven o'clock start. Um, and this one, pretty good crowd at Mullen Center. I'd, I'd like it to be a little fuller for, for how good the team is. I hope our fans aren't getting too complacent with, with UMass being as ranked as high as they are. But uh, still a pretty good crowd, pretty lively crowd. And, uh, yeah, it seemed like the same type of play to start this game. Um, UMass kind of dominating the, um, the puck pressure, a lot of, lot of takeaways in the neutral zone, that kind of thing. And uh, they get a pretty early five-on-three power play. Yeah, I mean, this was already coming after, you know, we had two power plays of our own, um, couldn't convert, sadly. But yeah, I mean, the roughing call on Felix, I don't remember too much about it. Um, from what I was hearing from most people on Twitter, it didn't seem like that bad of a call. But I definitely have something to say about the Lebster hook. I, I don't agree with it at all. Um, I think we posted on our on our, <laughs> our Twitter account earlier that it was a Charmin Ultrasoft, not a sponsor. But yeah, that's it's definitely a good way to say it. I mean, it, it was literally a stick lift. He didn't catch him in the hands, at least from what I saw. It looked like he got essentially all stick. 
if anything, I mean, maybe you could call a slash if it got him in the hands, but I don't think in any stretch of the imagination that would have been a hook. But these things happen at least to a five-on-three that um, a 9% power play managed to put away, which is unfortunate for us. But, I mean, again, it is a five-on-three. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really tough to defend those five-on-threes. Not, not, no run really to fault there. But, uh, yeah, to get, get yourself in those position of, of five-on-three, five on two penalties, it's – it's tough. I mean, you could blame the refs all day. I mean, you got to, if you're six in the wrong spot, they'll get you for it every time. Almost. It's, it's just a, just a tough situation. And UMass was dominating this period beforehand. And it just seemed like a real punch in the gut to get this goal scored uh, leading into the first intermission. Yeah. That was really what I was just about to get at was I think we were out shooting them. I want to say like 15 to four, like, come on like we had a couple of really nice chances that I think Hanson stopped us on a couple of cross creasers I think he managed to get like a diving pad save on one of them it's like like you gotta be kidding me man like we were out shooting them out you know just out chancing them they really they had a couple of moments where they could get a little bit of zone pressure but I think we had the majority of the zone pressure in, in their end and it's really unfortunate like again we talk about Carvel saying you know getting what you deserve I don't think we deserve to be losing going into the end of that period like we were we were doing all we could to get quality chances and Hanson was coming up huge and you really can't say that Murray was doing poorly he wasn't tested a whole lot but I mean again a five on three you have a guy out there cleaning up a rebound in front it's it's a tough ask you know for any for any goalie yeah absolutely and this this first period could have could have gone a lot differently UMass had a five on three advantage earlier in the in the period, they rung post twice. One was a, a Moro snapshot, just buzzing, uh, running the post. And then uh, a little little tip in front that went off the post and into the goalie's back also. Uh, if the puck was bouncing a different way here or there, could have been could have been a lot different period for UMass, but instead it goes into the intermission one nothing. Yeah, it's super unfortunate the way that that had to play out. I mean, you know, obviously if hindsight's twenty twenty, but I mean, if those two goals go in, you're most likely looking at a two nothing game going into the second period. I mean, that's just a completely different mentality in the locker room, a completely different speech from your coach, you know, and the fact that we were millimeters away from that really kind of takes the air out of you mm-hmm. knowing that you're, I, I would think heavily outplaying and it was just a really unfortunate set of penalties that kind of puts you behind. It really takes the air out of your game. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, the, the vibes going into the locker room. Something must have happened to the locker room because UMass came out in the second period firing uh, just a couple seconds after the puck drop. Uh, Bobby got a great pass from Garrett Waite and uh, absolute snipe going into the goal. Yeah, I mean, the speed that Bobby just shows is just unbelievable. Like, he he looks like an NHL-ready player at this point. Like, he the way he's able to just corral passes and just completely blow by his man – it's, it's uncanny the way he's able to do that. And I think he nips it short side bar down, essentially. Maybe not bar down, but maybe it was like the back bar that's like, you know, reinforcing the net, essentially. Because at first glance, I thought it was post and out. Like, I, the moment that I saw Bobby kind of raise his hands, I was like, oh, wait, hold up. Maybe it was in. But up until that point, I was like, hold on, guys, wait a second. It might not have been in because I'm already classically conditioned from the first period to think that any shot that, you know, goes out so quickly must have run post. But... Luckily, that wasn't the case. I was able to celebrate and be happy. But, yeah, quite the goal from Bobby there. Yeah, and that tied it up. And then just a quick 
51 seconds later, Josh Lapina netted his second goal of the series, rifled it from the slot, uh, really tic-tac-toe type goal, just really pretty passing and seemed like UMass was firing on all cylinders just a minute into this period. Yeah, I mean, what a way to start the period. You know, like you were saying, the vibes in the locker room, like clearly Carvel must have done something to fire the boys up or, you know, they must be insanely self-motivating. Something happened. Mm. And I really want to highlight Bollinger's pass here. I want to say just right off the bat, I think Bollinger played excellent this series. Um, he was definitely kind of like my unsung hero, you know, um, at least from when, you know, we were talking in the car and everything. We were really trying to get all the awards and everything set up. Like we were discussing him a lot. Um he played quite the quite the series. You know, he had a lot of block shots. I think he played really smart. Um, you know, he never really stuck out as a player that was doing all the like all the right things in like a big flashy manner. Like he wasn't a crazy playmaker. Like clearly the pass that he made on this play from the half boards to get it into Lopina in the slot, excellent pass. But like he wasn't really blowing our socks off for most of the series, making all these sort of crazy plays. He was kind of just always making the subtle smart play. But I, I kind of appreciate that a lot more because when you try and do too much and it results in a turnover or something like that, I feel like that sticks out a lot worse. But if you're able to just make the safe play, which he tended to do a lot this series, I really enjoyed that. But he made a pretty ballsy pass on this power play right into the slot. I mean, it was fairly open, but I think it had to go past one or two sticks. And like it was very similar to the same goal that I think Josh Lapina scored last series against Maine. I think he had almost an, an identical goal. <laughs> where he was basically just kind of sitting in that little soft spot in the slot and there would be a pass from the, from the half boards right there. And it would just send right to a stick where you'd redirect it on net. It was a great goal. Yeah, absolutely. The, the passing and the, the team chemistry on that one was just phenomenal. Um, and yeah, it seemed like UMass really had a shot at that point to, to kind of run away with it uh, with the ease that they were passing the puck and kind of skating around the UConn defense. Uh, and then, then the pace of the game really slowed down. Uh, the refs seemed like they were really breathing through their whistles tonight. A lot of calls, um, a lot of calls that seemed pretty weak, kind of going both ways. If I'm being honest, I didn't, I didn't think it was too much of a problem for UMass necessarily, but uh, yeah, the, the refs definitely made their mark on this game for sure. And that led to a UConn power play that they eventually tied the game on uh, kind of just, tossed a shot in from the point on the power play and it and it got got in yeah I mean we see the second power play goal from them um was kind of a big a big thing for this game with special teams um we really weren't able to be that effective on the penalty kill and the power play was I wouldn't say flat because again we got a lot of shots but nothing managed to get through the net which was unfortunate but yeah I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say there's a goal that Murray wants back I mean again screened classic tip I mean that's how you beat a good goalie none of those shots are ever going to be easy but it's unfortunate all the same you know what I mean it really mm -hmm. sucks that that's the type of goal that goes in you know what I mean like especially when we got you know the same amount of, of power play chances as UConn and we weren't able to convert like it kind of just makes you think like why can't we just do that just get a guy out in front and just kind of launch it at him and hopefully it just kind of tips in the same way that UConn was able to do it it, it sucks you know like that that was a real like like really this is how they're tying the game two goals on what maybe six or seven shots at this point yeah. you'd figure that we were dominating them on defense and they're just finding a way to somehow slip pucks through and I'm in no way blaming anybody for these two goals power play goals they're you know it's unfortunate there's you're never going to be 100% on the penalty kill but 
it again, it's a big blow to your confidence when there's only seven shots on net. You're, you know, you're shutting them down pretty solidly the whole game. And then you're just like, what the fuck? Like, really? Like, that's what's going in? It's it's unfortunate. And that's, yeah. that's a term that I'm going to say a lot is unfortunate, but yeah. I really can't find another term for it. I'm racking my brain for it. I yeah. can't find one. And it's just one of the ways I thought that this game really mirrored the first game, too. The uh, UMass heavily outshooting UConn in both of mm-hmm. these games. And uh, more like, like UMass in this first period, as well as the first period of game one, lot of pressure to start seemed like the the ice was tilted in their direction uh and then UConn kind of kind of getting themselves together and and getting some more pressure on in the second period of both of these games uh and also leading in the third uh the third period had a lot of UConn pressure and uh it led to what was a pretty like like you said unfortunate goal uh to put them up three to two uh UConn skater just kind of skated into the zone right around the defense and kind of kind of had what looked like a wraparound goal on on Murray yeah it was basically a situation I want to say it was off calling the play I'm not trying to call him out but just to accurately describe the play I mean the the UConn player coming in he was quick man was taking big strides he he was really trying to get to the net there and he drove to the net and just kind of tossed it on net and I mean that's what happens when you're able to get a decent quality chance in front of the net with a lot of speed you kind of just throw it on and pray and again, it just kind of did that, you know, like there's really no other way of describing it. The puck just kind of trickles in and it, it it's weird because like, I don't think we were necessarily playing all that bad at this point. Like it was still fairly early into the period. Um, like, like UConn definitely played better in the third as a whole. Like, like you were saying, that kind of seemed like the case where in both games, you know, the first two periods, like regardless of how much UMass was, you know, dominating, you know, shots wise, it was always going to come down to who was going to win the third period, just due to the fact that there was a tie going into that third period. And the first game we came out, we were playing very well. This game, it just seemed like a case of UConn just was had a little bit more fire. You know, they just really wanted to get shots on the net and it, it just literally like the, the bounces were not going our way. Yeah, and this this UConn goal was seven minutes into the third, so UMass had a lot of time to try to tie this game up. It just seemed like they could get nothing going mm-hmm. uh, for the whole the last thirteen minutes of this game. Uh, the almost the last full ten minutes, dump and chase. Uh, UConn kind of gets the puck down low after a puck battle, uh, lofts it up off the sideboards and out of the zone into the neutral zone. It just seemed like that kept happening over and over and over. And yeah, UMass never really stepped on the gas. They never, they never really had a had a solid chance at their tying goal. And uh, a couple minutes left in the game, UConn added their insurance to make it four to two, and that's how the game ended. Yeah, I mean, you could just kind of tell for the last eight nine minutes of the game, UConn really. I don't want to say was turtling, but they were definitely focusing on the defensive end. You know, obviously they don't want to give up a tying goal, but it didn't really look like they were trying their hardest to try and get an insurance marker. Um, Again, it was just a lot of, they wouldn't let in any sort of clean zone entries. We were doing a lot of dump and chase and our guys just weren't getting there in time because their defense was sitting so far back. They were able to get into the corners quicker and they would just kind of chip the puck out. Um, It's really hard to get anything going when you're, you know, 
you know that you're behind and you're really just trying to get that 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 equalizer but the other team kind of recognizes that and they're, they're just kind of saying like we're defending at all costs like we're not even going to try and get the puck down there like that's the only reason why they were able to score that fourth goal i'm pretty sure murray was trying to like leave the net to try and empty the net and make it a six on five and we just couldn't really get like clean possession of the puck like we were kind of messing around with it a little bit and i think they finally just got a, like a little tiny bit of zone time and just kind of hucked it out in front to try and whip it on net and it was a one-timer essentially and Murray got beat clean on the glove. Um, I've seen goalies make that save before. It's definitely a tough ask, especially because it was a really good shot going top corner. And I th- I don't remember who the defenseman was in front, but I mean, it could have been a case of a slight screen as well. And at that point, it was already too late. Like we were already praying for there to be some sort of empty net equalizer and we weren't really focused on the defensive end. Um so I think that kind of led to the goal a little bit because we weren't focusing so far back on defense because we really just wanted to equalize. Um, so I don't think the, the the score was necessarily indicative of us playing poorly. Like, I think the game was a lot closer than a 4-2 scoreline would suggest. But it, it's really tough that you can't usually win a game off two goals unless your defense and your goalie is playing really solid like they did last night. Like, we scored two goals in both games, and it was kind of a case of is the defense going to be better or worse than the other teams? Right. Right. And then, yeah, so that's how it ended four to two UConn. There was a moment at the end that I think we want to touch on just a little bit. Uh, yeah. In the last minute of the game, Cal Kifuk, uh in the corner, uh, kind of, not kind of, he, he pretty blatantly cross-checked a, um, a UConn player in the head, tossed him to the ground, uh, then tossed his stick halfway across the ice. Uh, immediate, like, 10 minute misconduct for him. I really hope he doesn't, doesn't miss a game after that uh, in terms of a suspension, but just not, not what you want to see in, in a, in a losing effort or any effort. Yeah. I mean, he essentially threw a punch from what I could tell, like it doesn't matter how much you're losing by you don't, you don't do that. That's, that's boneheaded. You know what I mean? Like keep your composure, take your L move on. You know, we need guys like you to step up, you know, like that's what the, the real, like, and I mean, I think we're going to touch on this a little later, but we really need everybody that's not on the first line to step up, you know, and he's on that second line. This, you know, that's the prime spot where you need some depth scoring. And we know that he has it in him. You got to be out on, you got to be out there on the ice in order to do it. You know, you can't like, you've already lost at this point. Take your pride. Don't, don't make a crazy stupid play like that. You, you, you be better. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we, we know that he has it in him to be better. You, you know, from what I can tell, he's a great kid. You know, it's not, you know, people make stupid decisions. These things happen, but just come on, man. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those cases. You can't be doing that. Yeah. Just one of those heat of the moment things. You just gotta, gotta hope that that doesn't cost the team going forward. Exactly. So yeah, those are, uh, those are our recaps of the first two games. Uh, UMass wins the first one, two to one on the road. UConn wins the second one, four to two on the road and each team splits, which I, feel like was a, a pretty predictable outcome for the series given the the rankings of these two teams yeah I mean you can't complain too much again you got to give props to UConn where it's due like they're right in the hunt for that hockey East regular season championship spot like we can't just immediately think of this as a two-year horse race between UMass Lowell and UMass like there's this is a very very deep conference in terms of team ability you know I think 
I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's only maybe five or six points that separate like first from, I think like fifth or sixth, like it's, it's an insanely tight race and any team can do it at this point. I still think we're the favorites. I think we're in the driver's seat to do so, but you can't discredit any of the other teams as well. I think the top five teams in hockey East right now are nationally ranked or something to that effect. Like that's, that's unbelievable. You know what I mean? Like the amount of parity in this league is insane. So I don't think it's the worst possible thing to see us drop a couple points against UConn because we might be seeing them in the hockey championship. Who the hell knows? Yeah. You know, this is a very good team that we're playing against. So props to them. They played hard. They probably deserve three points. You know, like you don't play that hard and don't get at least something out of it. Right. I'd like to see UMass maybe get more than four, maybe more than three points when they limit the other team to as few shots as they did. But definitely it's just, that's just how the, cookie crumbles sometimes i guess sometimes you just don't get those big scoring outbursts yeah especially against against the hot goalie like uconn had this weekend yeah i mean hansen was unbelievable we can't overstate that enough like the the amount of insanely good opportunities that we had on something like a cross crease or you know an insane tip in front and he was able to track those the whole way and make unbelievable saves i mean it saved them you know what i mean like get a couple more bounces our way game could have been a lot different but I do think that UConn played well enough to at least get something out of this series. I think, I think they deserve it at least a little bit. And I'm hoping that we can use this again as a moment where we can dig deep, you know, maybe show, you know, have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder against Vermont and just make it an absolute bloodbath. I could totally see that, you know, where you can just make them just the, like, I don't know. We just really need to treat them as if this is like a revenge game and just really go out there six nothing you know like basically what we wanted from the main series i think we can actually get for vermont and we really need those six points we need that sweep in order to really lock in our our chance or our regular season champs um chances yeah i'd I'd love to see us go in and treat vermont like a punching bag i think that would be good for the morale of the team going forward uh yeah so how about we move on to awards sounds good so the first award that we give out on high character is the CCC Carvel's character and compete award. And uh, there's a little debate that we had on the drive home talking about who should win this one. And we came to the consensus that it should be Aaron Bollinger. And yeah. He, he had a great series. Uh, you talked about it a little bit before, but uh, I'll let you, I'll let you go again. Yeah. I mean, again, just, he was very consistent. This, the series, I think he really just made all the little smart plays. I think we had a couple of moments where there was a little bit of, I'd say too much urgency from some of the defensemen to try and make some plays. Um, A lot of turnovers happened because of it, but I think Bollinger was kind of like that steady rock where he would just make the smart chip, you know, like we would have the, you know, puck would get dumped into our zone and we would have an opportunity to either chip the puck left or right to try and, you know, get off the four checker. He would always pick the correct side to do it. I don't know if it was just really like a lot better communication from the forwards trying to talk to him and he just listened better, but the way he was able to recognize that I think was just really good. He didn't have, I think many, if any turnovers, I think he just played extremely consistent. He had a wonderful pass on the assist on the Lupina goal, um, played very well defensively. I think he shut down a lot of opportunities in the corners, like, you know, rubbing somebody out in the, you know, in the corner to make sure that they can't get around the net for a wraparound chance. Um, he just played very heavy and very, you know, he respected the opponent. Like he never, he always felt like he had to go 110%. 
where he was just always just go, go, go. It was like a defensive version of Ryan Lawton back, in my opinion. Like, again, another guy who I think played pretty pretty darn well. But got to give it to Bollinger. I think he played very well this series. And, yeah, he's deserving of the award. Yeah, I'm really happy to see it from him. I know he's been uh, kind of off on and off the ice some this year. Um, he has, hasn't really had his his moment after the uh, that goal in the national championship, which was unreal. Uh, but ever since then, he's kind of been flying under the radar. So I think it's really good for to give him him some credit and uh, where it's due here. He played very solid series. Nothing that we saw that uh, was deserving of any any kind of criticism or anything like that. I think it was just an all around solid performance. Yeah, that was the key. It was definitely his consistency. Um, and I think for those keeping track at home, this would be our first offensive. CCC award we have mm-hmm. historically the past couple of uh series reviews been giving them to forwards I mean it's kind of easy to give it to guys like Bobby and wait when they're doing all they can on the first line but we'll touch upon that a little bit later because we have some thoughts on that as well but yeah no it's great to see a defenseman do it um yeah it's just really cool to see you know what I mean it's good to, it's good to kind of break the, the defensive curse and really have a D-man step up like that in the series absolutely and then uh, on the opposite side of the coin, our second award that we give out on high character is the nice try UMass award. Somebody who I want to see do better. Um, <laughs> we've been talking about this uh, group of people doing better in the last couple episodes, and they haven't answered the bill for us. Winning the nice try UMass award is the entire penalty kill unit. Um, we, we came into this series highlighting that UConn has one of, if not the worst, power plays in the country. They came in below 10% um, on the power plays, and out of the five goals that they scored this weekend, three of them were power play goals. You really, really can't have that if you're me at UMass, and this is becoming a theme of, of letting up a lot of power play goals. Yeah, I mean, this could just be an anomaly, and maybe the UConn coach is crapping his pants right now saying, holy hell, how the hell did we manage to get three goals on five power plays like that, but or on five, three power play goals on five total goals. But, like, come on, guys, you know what I mean? Like, it's – I get it. It's a penalty kill. You're not supposed to be able to always be able to kill them off, but, like, 60% of our goals against for power play goals. Come on, boys. You know, like – you just need to do better. <laughs> you know what I Like, it's not a case of necessarily like trying to work harder, but just like, it seemed like the big thing for me was clearing out the front of the net. Like again, Murray, an extremely solid goalie. Other teams are going to pick up on that when they're scouting our team. And the one, the number one way that you do that is get bodies in front and get tips in front. That's how they scored a lot of their goals was just having a guy parked out in front. Same thing with last series as well. It was a lot of just force a rebound, have a guy on the doorstep, tap it in. We do it ourselves. That's how Garrett Waits scoring like 75% of his goals by sitting on the, you know, the doorstep and just tapping them in. So if we're able to do it, you know, why, why can't, why can't we recognize that and be able to stop it from the other end as well? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Def- definitely frustrating. And yeah, we, we, we asked UMass to, to kind of tighten it up after the main series. Maine had also an abysmal power play that they scored a few goals off of. And I think part of it comes down to UMass taking a lot of penalties lately. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I, you can't blame the refs for all of them. It calls to go both ways. Uh, I think this is the time to tighten it up. Uh, we're getting really late in the season. This, 
Like if if you're gonna struggle on the power play like UMass is going to right now, you really need to tighten it up in, in terms of penalties. Yeah, I think the, the best way to summarize this in my opinion is if we're giving up these power play goals against teams like Maine and teams like UConn with historically early you know of the season, not ideal power plays. If we're trying to beat people in the frozen four like Michigan that have God tier power plays like that the hell are we going to do boys? You know what I mean? Like they're going to be rocking a hundred percent power play, you know, percentage. Like we, we really need to tighten that part up because even no matter how good you play and you know how, no matter how clean you play refs, refs can play ref ball. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that it happens, but it's always a possibility. And some things are just simply out of your control. You know, no matter how clean you think you play, the refs might not always see it that way and we're going to get punished. So we need to just be able to take those penalties on the chin clear it off, you know, make sure that nothing, you know, comes of it. And yeah, I, we're not seeing it yet. So we, we got to clean it up boys. (laughs) Yeah. So the, for the first group award in high character history, I think that one's a little bit deserving after this weekend. Certainly. Uh, Yeah. So now we're going to our third award, our custom award and our custom award this weekend is the three musketeers award. And I will explain three guys muskets like Minutemen, it's the top forward line garrett Waite, josh lapina bobby trevino yeah and i want i want to preface this because i think one of the first things that people might think of if you know you've been paying attention to mass hockey aren't you know most of those guys on our penalty kill yeah but our five on five and our penalty kill are two completely different animals you know like the and again we we might want to I'm not sure if we're going to use this award to touch upon it or maybe a little bit after, but this forward line is doing all the scoring. You know, there's, there's an extreme lack of depth scoring. We've been talking about this for a few episodes now, and I think it became extremely apparent in this series. I think every single goal that we scored this series, all four of them, which is not a lot, averaging two goals a game, that's not the way to be. You know, like UConn was coming into this series, as we discussed, I think three, three games in a row they were scoring six goals in. Like, that's how you win games. Granted, they didn't necessarily do it. You know, they only had one goal, but then they had four. Like, we got to score more. And we can't expect Bobby Lapina and um, Waite to just completely shoulder, you know, all that responsibility. We got four lines. We got 12 forwards out there. If three of them are doing all the work, it's inefficient. You know, that's, that's not the way to do it. And we have a, we have a couple of ideas that we might want to run by the listeners of the pod but yeah they've definitely been been firing on all cylinders right now but we're 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 wondering if it's sustainable yeah so so we gave this award to give credit to that top forward line i mean they're putting in a lot of work they're really shouldering the burden of scoring for this team and uh I wanted to ask you do you think there is a non-zero chance that carvel shuffles up this top line and separates at least one of these guys to try to try to spread out the scoring across the offense? I I think the answer is definitely yes. It's, it's certainly possible because I think historically it's happened before. I'm trying to think of examples off the top of my head. There's definitely been examples back in 2019, like when we had Leno or 2018, 2019, I always get my, my, my years mixed up because like, it'll start in one year and then end in another, but I always like to think of just one year, but regardless, I remember back when Leonard was on the team, he would kind of bounce around between the second first, you know, he would kind of get shifted around 
and it would really all depend on how the production was. Like we had enough talent distributed throughout the whole team to really be able to kind of mix and match and figure out what works. And it also kept teams on their toes, I feel like, because at least in the top line, that's been obviously with the exception of Lopina being injured because you can't really control that. But whenever those top three guys were healthy, they're always playing together. And you, it's, it's absolutely undeniable that Bobby and Waite have, have chemistry. I think Bobby's been assisting on like, I, this is unconfirmed, but I'm going to go on a limit and say probably like 75% of his goals. Like just, I'm talking about like primary assists. Like you just get Bobby sending it over to Waite, media, media goal. Like that's just the way that it's been working recently. But I, I'm curious to see if Lapina gets moved around and it's through no fault of his own. It's because he's playing like, all right, this might sound a little cliche, but like too well on that line. Like we think that his, his production would be suited trying to get other people revved up a little bit more. Like his face-off percentages is so good. I think ideally you'd be able to replace um, him with either faith or Mercury, like two, two more guys that are very adept at face-offs that can still win those offensive zone face-offs and allow Bobby and Wade to work their magic in the O-zone. But I think just Lapina, like in my, my perfect, you know, something were to happen and I became the coach for a day and they said, hey, Evan, you're the coach now. Good luck trying to beat UConn. I'm just saying, okay, I'm putting Lapina on that second line with Lebster and Keefuke, assuming Keefuke is playing nice and not getting suspended for punching somebody in the face in the last minute of the game. But obviously, if everything's fine, he's playing with them. I, that's like the speediest line that you can make on the team besides having Bobby there. Like Lebster and Keefuke are extremely speedy. We've seen Lapina speed down the middle. I think that could really do some damage, especially on the rush, because I feel like we've been a very offensive zone oriented team. Um, again, that's partly in due to our face-off dominance, but I really think that we can use speed in the neutral zone with that potential line um, to just really do some damage. And I think diversify our offense a little bit more because I think right now we're a little bit one-dimensional with just the personnel that are out there and the way that we're doing it is just by being locked up in the zone the whole time. I want to see more rush plays personally because that's what UConn did a lot this series and it worked out pretty well for them. They were very creative. They were doing a lot of extra passes and I want to see that from our, from our players as well. Yeah, I think I agree with you on, on maybe thinking about moving Lopina off of the first line through no fault of his own. I think, I think Bobby's playmaking ability and his shiftiness and ability to take on three defenders at once. I think, I think that kind of helps uh, shoulder that weight. Uh, we know Lopina is very good around the net, um, behind the net, that kind of thing in the corners. Uh, Bobby is as well. He has that skill set. I think, I think just having Bobby in that role on the first line with another uh, another bigger guy, maybe like Mercury, somebody like that, yeah. um, kind of kind of lets you move Lopina down just to to create have more playmaking down uh, on one of those lower lines. Seems like the the lower offensive lines have kind of just been holding the fort. Uh, obviously, the scoring has been really shouldered by the the top line, but it would be it would be nice to infuse those lines with something different, some different kind of playmaking skills. Yeah, when you said kind of holding down the fort, that was something that I was really kind of noticing was like, I'm not saying that we don't get chances, but they're fewer and far between than on the first line, which is to be expected. Your first line's your first line for a reason. I get that. But it seems like a case where 
it seems like just all three of those lines. So you would figure normally that would be your fourth line job to kind of grind out opponents and just kind of buy time for your first line to get more well-rested so they can play to their maximum potential. But it kind of just seems like the, the bottom three lines that aren't the first line are basically just kind of there to allow Bobby to get as much rest as possible so he can just do the magical things that he does. <laughs> and, you know, if we come up with a, with a team that has a bit more scoring depth, you know, say a Michigan or whatever, Minnesota State, you know, teams that we've lost to in the, in the season so far, I think that was, it had a lot to do with just us not being able to score enough. And it's, I, I'm not saying that Carvel should necessarily split them up, but I think it's something to consider. Because it has happened before, and again, I feel like if there's going to be any time to do it, it would be against Vermont. Yeah, I was just about to say, I think I think this upcoming series at Vermont is a great time to at least try something. Uh, I definitely look out for that when the lines come out before that first game. I think I think Lopina has played with some players on these lower offensive lines enough. Uh, any everybody on the top line has played enough with. Uh, some of their teammates down low that it wouldn't be crazy to see them get dropped down at least for one game just to test it out. But I think, I think something does have to be done about that depth scoring issue at the moment. I think it's a little too lopsided with that, with that top line. I think, I think teams can prepare defensively for that top line now and just kind of really focus in on it. Yeah. And I mean, the, the only other thing that I guess if I'm trying to play like the devil's advocate here is if we're moving a guy like Lapina down, you basically have to replace him with a like for like center um, because you really can't move a winger to the center. Like we're, we're dominating on the faceoffs because we have centers playing there. You know, like that's the real bread and butter of our zone time is getting that offensive zone win because our faceoff guys are so good. Um, I feel like it would be kind of tough to move a winger because the wingers are so essential to that first line, like weight and Bobby have that chemistry. So I feel like splitting them up is counterintuitive, but the only worry that I have is that a player like faith or mercury kind of is very similar to what weight already brings to the table. Like weight is a, you know, bigger guy, really good at playing around the net, which I think is pretty similar to faith and mercury. I think, Mercury would probably fit in a little bit better, um, in my opinion, but I don't know if he's able, if he's ready to shoulder top line minutes yet. Um, it could, you know, he's definitely played well in the, the times that I've seen him, but that might be a really big responsibility, you know, and I'm not sure. I mean, the guy's a freshman, you know, like that's, that's a really big ask from a guy like him, but I think play style wise, it might be something to consider. I'm just not sure if, weight and mercury's play style would mesh very well together i think it would be a case of kind of we would have two guys parked in front and we're essentially just whipping pucks towards the front of the net and just hoping that something sticks which isn't really the most efficient strategy like that's kind of similar to what we've already been doing like just kind of whipping pucks on net at least this past series so we'll see how it shakes out but i think it's definitely possible right that is that is a good point too like you may say, oh, well, other freshmen are getting top line minutes. Look at Moro, look at look at Ufko, that kind of thing. But like not too long ago, Mercury was on the fourth line, centering yeah. the fourth line. So like that kind of jump mid-season when you haven't been doing it all year might be uh 
might be a little tougher for, for somebody like him. I think he, he definitely deserves it. I think he's been much improved lately. I feel like I would look more towards somebody like Faith to make that jump up to the first line. Yeah, I was I was going to mention that. So, because, I mean, we're d- doing this all live, basically. Like, I'm still having thoughts going in my mm-hmm. head. But, I mean, we got to think back to when Lapina was injured. Faith was, was the one taking that spot. And I think mm-hmm. he had a pretty solid point streak during that time. Like, he really did step up and play very well alongside both of them. So, I, I don't want to keep, you know, kind of doubling back on my previous statements but because it's kind of just this fluid stream of consciousness that's going on. But, yeah, I think now that I'm remembering what was going on when Lapina was injured, Faith really wasn't a bad option, and he looked quite solid at that time. But, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from him because I still think that Faith played very well, but how much of that is playing alongside a guy that's as re- like so good like Bobby? You know what I mean? Like, it kind of makes you wonder, like, is, is he feeding off of having extremely talented teammates? And, I'm again, not taking anything away from him. I think he's a great player. But it, it makes you think, you know, is, is he a byproduct of his, of his line mates? Right. Yeah. And a lot of things to ponder with this, uh, with this situation here. Just look out for that before the Vermont series. We'll see. We'll see what, what happens in that. So, uh, yeah, anything – you have anything else from either of these two games you want to get off your chest? Um, from these two games, no, I just think it would be really good to, to give all the listeners an update on just kind of the overall schedule and standings, because a lot, there's a lot of context to kind of take into account as to why we're not completely upset with only taking three points from the series. Yeah. So let me, let me jump into the hockey East scoreboard for this weekend. So, uh, after, after a weekend that had some kind of wacky, uh, one-on games, we, it looks like we have a lot of series here. So, the, the big one that we were watching over the weekend, Providence had a home and home with UMass Lowell. Uh, in Lowell, won the first game three to two and lost the second game three to two. So uh, that's basically a wash. Lowell is a team that we're tied with for first place right now, obviously. And uh, neither team can really, really takes control after this weekend. Then looking into some of the other series we have, Northeastern in Boston College. Boston College took the first game 4-1, their first win in 2022. So congratulations. <sighs> congratulations. <to BC>. Jerry York, <laughs> Claps what for a BC. Legend. Um, and then Northeastern won the second game 4-1. Uh, Ryan so Leonard, please come to UMass. <laughs> so they split. Um, Vermont played Merrimack. Uh, Merrimack won 3-2 game one and 3-2 in game two in overtime. And then Maine played New Hampshire up in Maine. Uh, Maine took the first one six to three, uh, kind of a wild highlight in that game. If you didn't see it, uh, Maine was shorthanded and three guys didn't have a stick. And one guy took it all the way down the ice to score, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then New Hampshire won five to two on the next day. So, so yeah, good to see some series back. I like, I like that continuity. Um, and yeah, so if we look over to the standings now, it's, somewhat of a wash this weekend for UMass and UMass Lowell. Um, They both are still tied in points and second place. We have UConn who has 38 points. Merrimack also has 38 points. And then after that, Northeastern and BU both have 35. So really bunched up in there. Um, UMass has two games in hand on UMass Lowell. So they're definitely in the driver's seat. Going forward, uh, each team plays 24 in a season. So UMass Lowell has two left. UMass has four left. And two of them are against Vermont. So definitely looks good going forward still. 
Yeah, no, the, the Vermont series, you you can't accept anything other than six points. There's there's no way. I mean, we were saying that about Maine. We we kind of coped a little bit with the four points out of six, but can't can't have that sort of thinking this time. I mean, if you're trying to win the championship, you're trying to make a natty, you you gotta beat a team like Vermont, man. <laughs> like no no disrespect to guys like like Philip Wagonov or anything, but this is a team you got to beat, you know what I mean? And we're going to be there at that series. I'm looking forward to seeing Laganoff play again, mm. but that's a, that's going to be a whole new episode. We have a whole preview for that, but yeah, no, really looking forward to that series has to be six points out of six. And I'm really happy that we still have two games in hand because if, if low ended up winning that second game and we didn't, things would be a little bit more dicey right now. Yeah. So. And, and things are still pretty dicey. Look at this, uh, the standings, there are six teams that have a very legitimate shot of still winning the Hockey East regular season championship. Um, I think we have the edge right now, obviously being in first, having uh, a low amount of games played in comparison, but a couple good weekends in a row for one of these teams, it could get scary. So uh, really was hoping UMass could get it done this weekend and kind of start pulling away from the pack, but uh, it'll just it'll just have to happen in Vermont. Really, like you said, need those six points this upcoming weekend. Yes, certainly. Um, I just want to make sure. So you're kind of the resident standings and stats guy. So I wanted to say originally that the magic number for us to clinch is six, but I think that's no longer true because UConn is still nipping at our heels. I think that would have been different if we beat UConn both games. So I don't see a world where we can clinch before the end of the Vermont series. If that's true, I'm just asking to make sure. Don't think so. Our, our magic number against Lowell specifically right now is six. Um, that would give us a tie with them at the end of the year, and we own the tiebreaker. Um, <laughs> this is a lot of math to look at. I don't yeah, think that's I fair. Do this in my totally head right put now, you. But I'm putting you on the spot right here, I, so I apologize for that. It's all right. I think we'll. I think we'll have a much better understanding at the end of next weekend series. Uh, yeah, every, definitely. Every team will have two games left, so uh, it should be much easier to to paint the picture then. But for now, it's it's a six team race. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool to see down the stretch here. So, so to put it in a layman's terms, basically beat Vermont handily, and we don't have to worry as much. Yes. Sounds like a plan. That sounds like a good game plan to me. Um, I hope the team feels the same way. But, yeah, that's our uh, – to recap, anything anything else? Oh, I think I think we've touched upon most of the things that we want to touch on. So I think we're good to go. Awesome. So, yeah, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, thanks, everybody, that came and said hi to us over the weekend. Love love people that recognize us from the pod. That's pretty cool. Uh, definitely go, go check out our hoodie on Twitter. Um, if you're interested, send one of us a DM uh, by Tuesday. We're looking to get those out. So, yeah, thanks, guys, for listening, and go UMass. Go UMass. Take care, everybody.